Welcome to The Wellness Connection with your hosts, Roddy Aglis and Peter McCarthy. Our program provides you with timely and relevant information on the state of your health and the topics surrounding it, such as natural remedies, green living, expert opinions, important facts, and more to contribute to your healthy lifestyle. Now, here are Peter McCarthy and Roddy Aglis. Hello and welcome to The Wellness Connection. I'm your co-host, Roddy Aglis. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. On this episode of The Wellness Connection, we'll be talking with expert molecular biologist and diagnostician, Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD, PhD, about what biological markers are most important for maintaining good health. And in our Health Freedom segment, our returning guest, attorney Rick Jaffe, will discuss an important question. Do we have health freedom in the U.S.? And as always, our features, the supplement of the week, the burning question, and the drug-induced nutrient depletion update. But first up, Radia, you have a report that shares good news for fans of coconut oil. Yes, I do, Peter. In a study conducted by Nutrition Hospitalaria, a diet rich in extra virgin coconut oil was found to increase HDL cholesterol and decrease waist circumference and body mass in coronary artery disease patients. The researchers conducted a longitudinal study of 116 adults of both sexes presenting, presenting with coronary artery disease. Patients were followed in two stages over six months. The first stage involved intensive nutritional treatment. In the second stage, the subjects were divided into two groups, a diet group associated with extra virgin coconut oil consumption and a controlled diet group. Monthly measurements of body mass, waist circumference, neck circumference, and body mass index were conducted. <clears throat> Lab work, including blood pressure and fasting blood samples were collected at the beginning and the end of the study. In the first stage, the nutritional treatment reduced body weight, waist circumference, body mass index, and neck circumference. And lab work was showed decreased in key biomarkers associated with coronary artery disease. In the second stage of the study, it was observed that the coconut oil group maintained the reduction of body mass, body mass index, and waist circumference. In addition, there was an increase in HDLC concentration. Well, you know, we've been talking about coconut oil and the importance of good, healthy fats in general for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's some debunking in the popular media about the value of coconut oil. But when you look at the compendium, the summary of all of the studies that involve coconut oil, they're without, without exception positive. And this just adds to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting study and probably MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride, which comes from coconut oil, maybe even a better solution. Yeah, there you go. When we've, we've had uh, a number of customers in both of uh, our uh, places of employment who have uh, uh, got, seen good results with that. Mm -hmm. And Peter, your story has some good news for our listeners who consume essential fatty acids. Good news it is, Radia. In a pair of studies conducted by the University of Illinois and published in the journals Nutritional Neuroscience and Aging and Disease, omega-3 intake has been found to slow brain aging by boosting nutrient circulation to memory-related brain functions. The studies examine relationships between the levels of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids in the blood, cognitive performance, and brain structure. 
The first study investigated the frontoparietal network responsible for fluid intelligence, which allows you to solve new problems now encountered in the past. Those with higher levels of certain omega-3 fatty acids, particularly ALA, echocytrionic acid, and steridonic acid, were found to have larger frontoparietal cortex regions and perform better on fluid intelligence testing. The second study investigated the white matter structure in the fornix region that is vital for memory and is located in the middle of the brain. The size of the fornix was found to be linked with balanced blood levels of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. Adult who had better, adults who had better memories tended to have bigger fornix regions. The ideal ratio of omega-3 to omega-6, according to the researchers, is between 1 to 1 and 4 to 1, which varies depending upon who is asked. Studies show that a ratio of 4 to 1 is linked to a 70% decrease in mortality among those with cardiovascular disease. So pretty powerful evidence that we all should be taking our omega-3 essential fatty acids. And most of that, the most reliable source is from good quality fish oil. Yeah, and the thing is, as we've covered in our, in our past episodes, we've talked quite a bit about all of the omegas and DHA and, you know, EPA and what's the difference and all of that. But just as a reminder to our listeners, we get, you know, if you've got any kind of diet, we get plenty of omega-6s. And so that, when we get so much in our, uh, in our diet, through vegetable oils and any kind of processed food is using those, uh, it counteracts our omega-3s. So we need to remember to take in our fish oil, especially for those guys who don't eat, like fish or don't yeah, eat fish. Yeah, and I, I know plenty of those for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And now I'm delighted to introduce our special guest for today, Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD, PhD. He has more than 40 years of experience contributing to molecular biology and clinical diagnostics. His focus is on functional predictive tests and procedures designed to improve the precision of both diagnosis and of treatment outcomes. He's authored nearly 100 articles on the subject. He received a BS, MD, and PhD from the Boston University School of Medicine, completed residency training in clinical chemistry at the National Institute of Health and remained on the permanent senior staff before pursuing other interests, including starting the Health Studies Collegium. Dr. Jaffe is board certified in clinical pathology and in chemical pathology. He is the recipient of the Merck Sharp and Dome Excellence in Research Award, the J.D. Lane Award, and the USPHS Meritorious Service Award. Dr. Jaffe was honored as an International Scientist of 2003 by the IBC, Oxford, England, UK, for his lifetime contributions to clinical medicine, biochemistry, immunology, methodology, and integrative health policy. Dr. Jaffe is also founder and chairman of ELISA ACT Biotechnologies, Magic Biotherapeutics, and is founder and chairman of Perk Integrative Health, LLC, a company that offers the world scientifically proven integrative health solutions to speed the transition from sick care to healthful caring. Dr. Jaffe, welcome to the Wellness Connection. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, and Dr. Jaffe, of course, I have known you for, oh, about 25 years now as a CCN, and you have a a very interesting background. 
And I think our listeners would like to hear a little bit more about you. It sounds like you made a quite a radical transition from conventional medicine to NIH and to where you are today. Um, can you tell our listeners briefly what changed your thinking and how has it changed the way you practice medicine? Well, it's more an evolution than a revolution. Um, I was trained in internal medicine and in biochemistry and physiology at Boston University. And then, as you were kind enough to point out, I matriculated to the National Institutes of Health and started as a resident and ran the residency program, then moved on to the permanent senior staff. And each year that I was at NIH, we were able to contribute a fundamental method like um, more precise uh, occult blood screening for colon cancer and how platelets, uh, which have to do with blood clotting, are activated by a special protein called collagen, uh, how that relates to uh, things like uh, coronary risk and uh, uh, inflammatory chronic illness and so forth. And yes, I'm kind of cross, cross, cross trained. So I went to debunk acupuncture and did a seven-year apprenticeship with Queen Wu. Uh, I went to debunk yoga and Ayurveda and had five years with Dr. Ramamurti Mishra, who wrote the textbook of yoga psychology and commentary on Patanjali Sutras. And then I had the last 30 years of Bhante Dharmawara's life, and he was a Cambodian Buddhist monk. And you're right, I did at a point um, move away from pure academic medicine and all the platform and status that that brings with it. And I decided to learn the color healing system that this monk had decoded. It had been given by the Buddha 2,500 years ago. <clears throat> it was practiced for 500 years, lost for 2,000 years. And he brought it back. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting person. And it has evolved into our now decades-long interest in epigenetics, in predictive biomarkers, in um, personalized, proactive, predictive, primary prevention practices. And after screening 125,000 laboratory tests, we came down to eight that cover all of epigenetics, that's the 92% of your lifetime health you can do something about. <clears throat> These eight tests cover all of epigenetics, and our contribution is to define the best outcome goal value, not some statistical range, something that predicts 10 plus years survival. It's called all-cause morbidity mortality, if you're technical. But it also greatly influences how you feel and function today and tomorrow. So we are big fans of physiology before pharmacology. We're big fans of nature, nurture, and wholeness as a philosophy. Uh, here at my R&D center in Vienna, Virginia, we have a permaculture biodynamic food forest in our front yard, mushroom guilds in the backyard, a wood-fired bread oven that also makes very good pizza. And <laughs> we, um, as I've often said, my plan is to be dancing at 120, and I'd like you folks to be with me. Isn't that interesting that you set out to debunk all of yes. these things? And, and well, now you're a major fan. Um, well, and, you know, Doctor, the, uh, the topic for our discussion today uh, is rethinking health. They predicted right. biomarkers for lifetime health. Yes, what sir. do you mean uh, when you say rethinking health? Well, I mean that most doctors treat symptoms, and if you take the symptoms away and you reach the midpoint on the 
continuum of from, you know, from the terrible health to the best of health in the middle is the absence of symptoms. Physicians like me from the late 1970s, when C. Norman Sheely and other colleagues and myself helped found the American Holistic Medical Association. And by the way, I believe I'm the only presenter invited to the main stage on the first and the last AHMA uh, academic conference, CME conference. Uh, so yes, uh, in the late 70s, the holistic movement, then it became consumer-driven health. Now it's called Lifestyles of Health and Sustainability, LOHAS. And yes, I do believe that consumers are driving a change because they want personalized, meaningful health promotion, not just disease treatment. And most of us as physicians are, treat, are, are taught with the Descartesian method, a reductionist mechanistic view of life and biology, to treat the symptoms in a kind of reflexive way. And what I have found is that nature, nurture, and wholeness, and eating foods you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden. And all of this is contained within the eight predictive biomarkers. And I'd be delighted to talk a little bit about what they are, what they measure, how together they measure the whole epigenetic a continuum or suite of tests, a group of tests, and what are the best outcome gold values? Because what the lab provides is a statistical range, and I don't take care of statistics. So I don't, as a laboratory physician and as a clinician, I no longer even look at the lab range because I know how limited it is, and I want to know what is the best outcome value for that test if it's known. And for these eight, it is known. And it's a very high standard. We said at the Health Studies Collegium, a very high standard. It had to have been done on every socioeconomic group around the world, on every geographic group around the world, on every ethnic group around the world. And no 10-plus year survival, morbidity, mortality at 10 years, but also functionally how the person is in regard to risk, risk of inflammation, which is really, when you rethink it, at a more fundamental level, inflammation is repair deficit. And autoimmunity, we think of as self-attack, but at a more fundamental, it's the loss of tolerance. Well, I want to be tolerant. I'm sure you want to be tolerant, and your immune system wants to be tolerant. But look at what people put in their digestive tract. Look at the interaction between what we call the microbiome and the metabolome. Now, we used to call it digestion and metabolism, but I think there's more cachet, and you may get paid a little more if you say microbiome and metabolome. But we're talking about how the uh, digestive tract interacts with the immune defense and repair system, the neurohormonal system. And when there's harmony and tolerance, you're resilient. And if you get exposed, as I often do, you don't uh, succumb to ill health. I've often been the only one of a large delegation who didn't get sick because I put a lot of prebiotic fiber, probiotic healthy bugs, symbiotic recycled glutamine, into me on a daily basis, because I know that has to be replenished on a daily basis, along with a family of other supplements that keep me, shall I say, perky. So you had uh, mentioned earlier the term predictive biomarkers. Tell our listeners a little bit more about how you, what, first of all, define that for them, and also sure. um, give them an idea of how you would assess their biomarkers. Well, with regard to the definition, because you first have to understand, what does it mean? There's biomarkers of which there are thousands and thousands. They measure different aspects of biology, but predictive biomarkers are a unique subset. 
defined by the World Health Organization, defined by the National Center for Health Statistics, and we at Health Studies Collegium accept their definition. A predictive biomarker is one that you know a lot about, it's been in use for a long time, and you know what the value means in regard to survival, how, 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 what your probability is of living 10 plus years, and just to be as simple as I can and not too complex mathematically, if all of your eight predictive biomarkers are at their best outcome value, you have a 99% plus chance of living 10 plus years, regardless of your current age. So a nine-year-old, a 49-year-old, and a 99-year-old has the same predictive meaning to these eight biomarkers when they're interpreted to their best outcome goal value. And in contrast, let's say you're on the other side of the spectrum for each of these tests. Well, now you have probably at most a one in five chance of surviving 10 plus years. And on the way, you're going to spend a lot of money because you're going to be very um, afflicted, to use a Buddhist term. So how does a person uh, find out what their biomarkers are and what, what condition they're in? Well, the biomarkers are available through betterlabtestsnow.com. That's betterlabtestsnow.com. That's an online portal. And among the choices there are eight predictive biomarkers where you'll see them on the screen. You can download them if you want. Uh, there's also a free ebook called The Joy of Living the Alkaline Way, which focuses a lot on eating what you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden, which is the fourth of the eight biomarker tests, and we can get to those in a moment. Um, and the contribution that our Health Studies Collegium Working Group has made over the last 20 years uh, is to uh, not just accept the best outcome goal value, but to show in outcome studies. And we have, for example, the most successful outcome study in type 1 and type 2 diabetes, Starting from best standard of care, we were able to reduce hemoglobin A1C, the first of these biomarkers, by a full milligram percent in just six months of best effort, people living in the community, all starting from best standard of care, American Diabetes Association best standard of care. And in the type one study and in the type two study, people gained 20 plus years of quality life by reducing their hemoglobin A1C by a further one milligram per cent. That's an example of how you rethink from a functional and physiologic point of view, tests that you're familiar with, some more, some less, and then you interpret them to their best outcome value. And if a person is at their best outcome value, you celebrate, and if they're not, you give them a lifestyle program over six months and come back and measure. Because in most cases, it's a lack of nutritional essentials that can be corrected and an excess of toxins that can be removed that make people above their best outcome goal value um, most of the time. You, you can think yourself sick too, but that's another subject. <laughs> well, Dr. Jaffe, let's, uh, let's hold that thought about predictive biomarkers because we're going to talk more about it after the break. We'll continue our interview with Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD, PhD, after a brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network.
balance and good health. Two essential building blocks for a full and rich life, but sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost, and you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life. But not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit waayb.com to learn more and use the code wellnessconnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the wellness connection ahi at gmail.com. That's the wellness connection ahi at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. And welcome back to The Wellness Connection and our continuing interview with Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD. Dr. Jaffe, before the break, we began a discussion about predictive biomarkers. And what exactly are those eight predictive biomarkers that you refer to? Yes, the eight predictive biomarkers that can save your life in the 21st century are hemoglobin A1C, then high-sensitivity CRP, then plasma homocysteine, then LRA, lymphocyte response assay, that's the immune tolerance test, then urine pH after rest, that's a self-care test. Then vitamin D level properly done, 25-hydroxy-D is the correct measure. Then there's only two more, an omega-3 index, your balance of essential fats that become communication molecules and high amplification communication molecules. And the last, maybe a little less familiar, is a urine test. It's 8-oxoguanine. It's the measure of DNA oxidative damage in your genetic code. And these eight tests cover all of epigenetics, all of the things you can do something about. Hmm. Are there any more of them that are more important than others? No, no. They uh, are a suite that work together. They each measure a different aspect of biology, but together they measure all of the person the 92% that is epigenetic, that is lifestyle-based. And if you have the eight tests, you can make very predictive and personalized uh, recommendations. If you lack any one, you're incomplete in, 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 in that regard. So <clears throat> how does this, do you think, interact or intersect, I should say, with the... Um, the new level of interest in genomic testing. Uh, well, if I can interject, I'm going to give you Eric Lander's answer. Eric Lander ran the Broad Institute. He sequenced the mouse genome faster than NIH sequenced the human genome. He's a geneticist. He ran the Office of Science and Technology Policy for President Obama. What he says is, if you're going to do any genetic tests, do everything. Do the whole DNA and all the RNAs. Otherwise, you're just going to be confused by a hypervariable, that is a test that has a big variance on split samples and is not black and white. It's functional. 
For example, with regard to folate, there are over 500 genes that influence folate metabolism. And if you measure one SNP or SNAP or SNUP, he says you're only going to get confused. And here's the summary. Here's the bottom line. You have an 8% chance of being, of being diabetic if you're an American. If you do the whole $100,000 DNA, RNA, et cetera, test, you can modulate that by 10%. And Eric and I ask on his behalf the following question. If you have a 7.2% or an 8.8% chance of having diabetes, what are you going to do differently? The tests that we're talking about, the predictive biomarker tests, these are the tests that can change your life for the better or the worser, depending on how you personally compare to the best outcome value for the epigenetic markers. So I don't do any genetic markers at this point. If people want to bring me the $100,000 complete DNA RNA profile, I'll have Eric Lander look at it for them. And by the way, your genes jump around and they change. They're not a fixed blueprint. Your epigenetic lifestyle influences how the genes express themselves. So there is an interaction, a communion, a dialogue between the epigenome, that is your lifestyle habits, habits of daily living, and your DNA. I am curious about when somebody, for example, takes these tests or when our listeners uh, go to that set, set, uh, the site you recommended, mm. what are they expected to do and what are they going to see? How are they going to go about it? Well, they're going to click on a predictive biomarkers at the betterlabtestnow.com portal. <clears throat> and what they'll see is the list of tests and they can bring the results from their other health professional and we will help them interpret it based on best outcome goal values, or they can do the test through BLTN, betterlabtestnow.com. With those results, you get a free interpretation, and the interpretation has to do with lifestyle habits of daily living. It may well be a makeover in regard to your kitchen, your bathroom, and your bedroom. It may have to do, very much have to do, with what you eat and drink, but also what you think and do. And so it's a lifestyle program designed to bring your predictive biomarkers to their best outcome goal value based on what you eat and drink and based on what you think and do. And you start with self-assessments like hydration, transit time, urine, pH, and sequence, and you move on to the eight biomarkers, if you wish, which add life to years and years to life. They are uh, predictive decades before you have illness. Is there going to be... Or is there a variable depending on age? So if a 20-year-old comes to you versus a 65-year-old, uh, is, there, is there going to be a big difference? No, this is a very important part of our rethinking. We looked, and Manuel Cheraskin was the man I got this idea from. At advanced age, there are more people who are deficient in the essentials and they have too much of the bad stuff and distress. So it appears that age is a variable. But having studied healthy, long-lived people, I can tell you that at 19, at 49, and at 99, a healthy person will have the same predictive biomarkers and have the same probability of living 10 years. And my main teacher, Bhante Dharmawara, we had him for 110. He passed at the age of 110. And he said it took him 40 years to get sick, 40 years to get well, and then he could get started. And I met him when he was about 80 and was with him at near the end. 
Huh. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, Dr. Jaffe, uh, just a little bit ago, you were discussing uh, some of the uh, lifestyle factors that you look at, and you, you mentioned uh, that you examine the bedroom. Uh, I'm assuming in that case you're talking about sleep, and uh, that's really something that uh, both Roddy and I have seen many customers about uh, sleep issues. Can you talk some more about that? Yes, I think most people do not prepare for sleep properly. Uh, we recommend a salt and soda bath. That's Epsom salts and baking soda and a warm tub of water. So you come out pink like a baby, not red like a lobster. While you're in there, you do five minutes of deep abdominal breathing. Watch a baby. That's how they breathe. And 15 minutes of active meditation or visualization or listening to music or prayer. Uh, if you want, uh, you can use a green dichromatic light. Must be par 38 dichro, dichromatic so that the retina, the nerve in your eye, has one level of nerves that go directly to the pineal gland. And the pineal tells the pituitary what to tell the rest of the body. So sleep, restorative sleep, and preparing for sleep, very important. Then I recommend keeping devices, screens, and, and clocks out of the bedroom. I, get, I go to bed early, so I get up like a farmer generally early, like when the sun comes up. Um, if you have to, you can use an alarm clock, but I recommend getting up very gently, stretching in bed before you fall asleep, stretching in bed before you get out of bed, and then stretch in the shower if you take a shower. And what about, um, what can you tell our listeners about diet? What is your opinion about just diet? There's so many fad diets. Well, <clears throat> yes, there's lots of fads, but my friend Artemis Simopoulos, who brought forward the Greek Mediterranean diet, I think has a very compelling uh, case that the lifestyle and diet of the Greek Mediterranean st uh, approach uh, leads to high quality of life at advanced years, but also a traditional Japanese diet. Notice that the diets I'm talking about are whole food diets. Every one of your listeners is sweet enough as they are. They don't need to add sweeteners. And certainly I do not recommend artificial things that fool your tongue, create crave factors in your brain and mess up your body chemistry, brain chemistry. So I want people to eat whole foods, whole foods that they can digest, that they can assimilate, take up, utilize and eliminate without immune burden. So measure your transit time. If it's 12 to 18 hours, I congratulate you. But most Americans on an American diet could have a seven day transit time. They might be regular, but what comes out today might have come in a week ago. Wow. Well, Dr. Jaffe, what's one thing that you would like our listeners to take away from this conversation to help improve their life? I think the takeaway is very simple. You can save your life or you can sacrifice your life by your habits of daily living. Choose life. Choose life. Peace. Wow. <laughs> that's, so, that's pretty compelling, but pretty simple. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you the man I studied with, Bhante Dharmawara, he, he was elegantly simple and he was simply elegant. And if, if, if I come across in any way helpfully, it's a reflection of my mentors and the people who I went to debunk, but I became their, their student and, and was fortunate to be their acolyte. Well, <clears throat> tell our listeners one more time how they can learn more about your activities. Oh, well, you can go to drrusselljaffe.com. There's a website that would allow you to download The Joy of Living, The Alkaline Way Guide. 
You can go to betterlabtestnow.com website we've mentioned. That's a consumer portal. Uh, if you're a professional, uh, please go to Eliza Act, E-L-I-S-A-A-C-T. Remember the double A, ElizaAct.com or Perk, P-E-R-Q-U-E.com uh, to find out more technical information about the outcome studies, about the predictive biomarkers, about how to interpret them. And we have a health coaching program called the WellGuard program. People are welcome to get certified in the WellGuard program and then move on to the, the Perk Integrative Health Academy, which is like the advanced version of the WellGuard program, so that this message, this functional and, and uh, very personalized approach uh, can become the new standard for the 21st century. Well, Dr. Jaffe, we know you have much more to share with us, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD, for joining us today on The Wellness Connection. A pleasure. We'll be right back after this brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Do you or a family member have trouble concentrating, staying on task, remembering things? Does everyday life stress you out, or are you in a bad mood? Well, we may have just the solution. Neurobiologics' new nutritional formula, Full Focus, created by leading neurotologist and neuroimmune specialist, Dr. Kendall Stewart, with 12 active ingredients carefully crafted by a physician to maximize brain performance, memory, and mood. For more information on this product and to view a video by Dr. Stewart explaining how Full Focus works and may be helpful to you or your family, please visit neurobiologics.com. Neurobiologics, where our mission is your health. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Well, Radia, you know what that means. It's post time, time for the supplement of the week. And what supplement are we posting this week? Well, Peter, most sore throats are typically treated with antibiotics. But the problem is most sore throats are caused by viruses. And antibiotics are of no use in viral infections. Strep throat, however, is caused by a pathogenic type A streptococcus bacteria strain known as streptococcus pyrogenus. Because it's impossible to tell at home if a sore throat is caused by strep, many people with sore throats visit their physician and receive antibiotic treatment for what ultimately turns out to be a non-bacterial infection. And that's important because over-prescribing antibiotic treatment in the face of any sore throat without checking to see if it's viral or bacterial remains a medical standard of care even though it has been known to be a public health problem. Overuse of antibiotics can contribute to the emergence of antibiotic-resistant superbugs that are difficult to treat and have the potential to produce dangerous infections. And another problem with overuse of antibiotics is it causes an imbalance of the gastrointestinal microbiome. 
this disruption of the population of healthy organisms that live in our GI tract has tremendous impact on overall health. Although considered a childhood illness, strep throat is known to occur in adults, and while most sore throats are merely uncomfortable, strep throat can produce dangerous complications like rheumatic heart disease, retropharyngeal abscess, and kidney disorders. Well, Peter, our oral cavity is a teeming jungle of funky bacteria. <laughs> and besides Streptococcus pyrogenus, Streptococcus mutans is the bacteria identified uh, the most with tooth decay and is present in all areas of the mouth. And the two types of bacteria most frequently associated with periodontal disease are Treptomena denticola and Porphyrmornis gingivitis and both can multiply to cause inflammation of the gums. The toxins produced in the T. denticola and the P. gingivitis comprise what's known as red complex that disrupts cultures of the oral bacteria that usually exist in harmony with one another. Yeah, and these bacteria are usually found together in periodontal pockets, suggesting that they may cause destruction of the periodontal tissue. If enough of them sneak in between the gum line, they can break down the bone and connective tissue in and around the teeth. This can ultimately cause the teeth to loosen, some to the point of requiring removal. All of these bacteria produce volatile compounds, including hydrogen sulfide, methyl captican, and dimethyl sulfide, that smell nasty, causing halitosis, aka bad breath. Instead of waiting for a sore throat, periodontal disease, or wondering why your friends and family keep at arm's length, you can proactively work to prevent these problems, especially periodontal disease and sore throats of all kinds, including potentially dangerous strep, like the um, probiotics that we use in our gut health, now there's a friendly bacteria for the oral cavity called Streptococcus salivarius. S. salivarius adheres to cells in the cavity and positively affects the bacterial population and natural immune defenses by inhibiting and eliminating pathogens, modulating the immune system to reduce pathogen-induced inflammation, and helps the immune system rapidly respond to pathogens. So Dr. Stewart and the, fo the folks over at Neurobiologics just released their new probiotic EN NT Defend. It's a pleasant tasting chewable that activates in the um, oral cavity for support of ear, nose, and throat health. Yeah, regular use of this probiotic may help you dodge the upcoming winter sore throat season, keep your mouth free from periodontal disease, and get your family to kiss you again. <laughs> <laughs> so if you wish to find out more about or purchase Probiotic ENT Defend, just send me an email at thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com or call me at Lake Hills Pharmacy. That's 512-608-9355. And remember, we do not receive compensation for the sale of these products. We're here to educate you on the best solutions for optimal health. And now it's time for the burning question where we answer those important health questions that you, the listeners, send in to us. It's important to note that any diagnosis of disease can only be provided by your medical doctor or other licensed healthcare professional. None of the information we present is intended for the diagnosis or treatment of disease.
And today's burning question was submitted by who, Radia? It was submitted by Blake from San Antonio who says, I heard about this weight loss supplement on Dr. Oz called Garcinia Cambogia. And he wants to know if it works for weight loss. Garcinia Cambogia is a small pumpkin-shaped yellow or greenish fruit. And the active ingredient in the fruit's rind is hydrocitric acid, or HCA. And studies show HCA has boosted fat burning and cuts back appetite, and it appears to block an enzyme called citric lysase, which your body uses to make fat. It also raises levels of serotonin, which <clears throat> may make you suppress your appetite and make you feel full. But actual weight loss results aren't that remarkable. Some studies have determined that Garcinia cambogia causes modest weight loss, while other studies report not noticeable effects at all. Yeah, Roddy, a review published in the Journal of Obesity found that people who took Garcinia cambogia in studies lost about two pounds more than people who didn't take it. But the reviewers couldn't say for sure that the weight loss was because of the supplement. Yeah, they forgot to mention that the folks on the study were also on a lower calorie diet and exercise program. Well, that's an important omission, isn't it? Mm -hmm. More impressively than weight loss, though, in one study where moderately obese people took 2,800 milligrams of Cam Garcinia Cambogia daily for eight weeks, they drastically improved several risk factors for disease, resulting in 6.3% lower total cholesterol levels, 12.3% lower bad or LDL cholesterol levels, 10.7% higher or good uh, HDL cholesterol levels, and 8.6% lower blood triglycerides. And there was 125 to 258% more fat metabolites excreted in the urine. The main reason for these effects, I think, may be that the Garcinia cambogia inhibits the enzyme citric lysase, which plays that important role in the production of fat. And Garcinia cambogia may make it easier for your, uh, for your body to use glucose, the sugar in the cell that makes energy. However, Blake, uh, be careful because in 2009, the Food and Drug Administration warned everyone to stop using products that contain Garcinia cambogia for weight loss because some people taking it got serious liver problems. The product had other ingredients too, so it's not clear that Garcinia cambogia was to blame. And studies have only tested these supplements for up to 12 weeks at a time. Therefore, you know, it may be a good idea to take a, uh, a few weeks off every three months or so. Yeah, you can submit your own burning question by sending it to, uh, to us at the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. And tune in every week to hear if your question is being answered on the air. We'll be right back with an important information about drug-induced nutrient depletion in our health freedom update after a brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Do you have trouble with nervousness, trouble relaxing, or turning your brain off at night to fall asleep? 
then we may have a natural solution just for you. Calming Cream from Neurobiologics, created by a leading neurosurgeon, provides five essential ingredients to help relax the neurotransmitters of the brain. Who wouldn't want to relax or wind down with a great smelling lotion? Visit neurobiologics.com or coffeewithdrstewart.com for details. Neurobiologics, we are changing lives one formula at a time. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. And welcome back to The Wellness Connection. This week's drug induced nutrient depletion update features. NASEDs, um, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, naproxen, and other arthritis drugs. And the, nutrients it, and the nutrient it depletes is folic acid. And symptoms of folate deficiency are extreme tiredness or fatigue, lack of energy, lethargy, breathlessness, feeling faint, headaches, pale skin, and notable heartbeats or palpitations. But Peter, I, w- I want to caution our listeners uh, about long-term use of NASEDs, which can lead to serious health concerns. In fact, even recommended dosages for short periods of time can be harmful. Yeah, this should be of particular interest to athletes. With the abundance of overtraining, repetitive strain injuries, and general wear and tear, NSAIDs is, a, is usually a go-to treatment option for these folks. According to the American College of Gastroenterology, 60% or or regular NASED users will have gastrointestinal side effects, which include gastrointestinal bleeding and ulcers. Wow. So if you purchase these drugs, even over the counter, be sure to talk to a qualified pharmacist or wellness consultant to help you with finding the right supplement and dosage to complement your drug prescription. And now it's time for our health freedom segment. Each week during this segment, we'll be talking with renowned experts and advocates about our most precious right, the right to bodily integrity, the right to decide what we put into our bodies and how to care for them. Some of us call that health freedom. Today's returning guest is Rick Jaffe, a healthcare litigator, counselor, and crisis manager focusing on cutting edge medical and legal issues. He graduated from Columbia Law School, where he was a member of the Law Review, and he received his BA from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, where he graduated with honors in philosophy and the history and philosophy of science. He represents practitioners, clinics, companies, and health-related organizations in complex health care regulatory matters throughout the United States, especially legal cases and investigations brought by federal and state government agencies. He has extensive experience in FDA matters, including stem cells, clinical trials, and new drug issues, Medicare and insurance fraud, professional licensure, and criminal and civil uh, scheduled drug prescribing problems. Rick, welcome to the Wellness Connection. Well, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Rick, today we're going to change things up a bit with you. You, Radia, and I met via our mutual interest in protecting health freedom, and for the benefit of our audience, we were successful in Texas in the 2000s at preserving the jobs of thousands of alternative healthcare practitioners. But now, more than a decade later, can we really say, in your opinion, there is health freedom in the U.S. and Texas? 
Well, uh, I guess that's a loaded question. I mean, look, we're still more or less okay in supplements compared to, say, Europe, where they're much more restrictive. But the main thing in supplements, for example, is you can't make truthful claims about them. And I think that's the, in the field of health freedom, you know, information is power. And I guess the biggest problem, one of the biggest issues is in the case of supplements, there's just all these restrictions about what you can say. Well, basically, you can't say anything because supplements aren't, aren't drugs and they're not proven by controlled clinical trials. And I think that one of that's really probably one of the major problems that, that I see impacting health freedom is um, uh, the inability for for people to disseminate information about the supplements. So let's say we're better than a lot of places, but we still have a ways to go. Mm, okay. So um, do you see that situation changing anytime soon? And if not, why not? Or better yet, do you, think, do you see anything on the horizon that we should be aware of or, or concerned about? Well, the good of it is that, you know, we have a little more freedom in, with drugs because of the right to try laws that are in many states now and the federal right to try, which is your readers, your listeners may know, basically allows um, patients to use drugs that have passed through phase one clinical trials. So there's a little better access, earlier access to drugs which are in the pipeline. I, I guess that's good news. The bad news is that there are other areas where um, the government is trying to be a lot more restrictive, say with compounding uh, pharmacies, right? And what happens is oftentimes the government takes a crisis and tries to capitalize on it by increasing restrictions, which is what's happening in the compounding field. Um, supplements are now a little more restrictive in so far as new, new dietary ingredients is, are concerned, which now require um, more like an FDA type of uh, mini approval. Um, and of course, um, you know, there, there are other stem cells. Uh, you know, we have some freedom about stem cells, um, uh, but the FDA is trying to uh, shut down whole areas of uh, stem cell clinics, including your own stem cells for uh, certain kinds of diseases. So I would say it's a, uh, it's a mixed bag. There's always the issue about the dietitians trying to take over uh, and co-opt the field uh, of nutrition. And that's an ongoing battle. I mean, that's going to be forever. There's never, they have so much money, there's never going to be the end of that battle fighting the, the dietitians, I fear. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things too is the dietitians, unfortunately, I, I don't say unfortunately, uh, I say unfortunately from a political standpoint, um, I guess it's good for their education standpoint, that they're finally coming around with recognizing the use of, of nutrient supplementation, et cetera, very slowly. Um, but the problem is, is that they're usurping the title nutritionist. Um, and they don't, in my opinion, they're not qualified. They're not qualified to, to call themselves clinical nutritionists in their education body. I mean, they, they just aren't, but they are, are copywriting 
when they changed their name from the American Dietetics Association to the Academy of Dietetics and Nutrition, you know, they just just capitalized on stealing that nomenclature. Right, um, yeah. I mean, it's amazing they're getting away with it. You know, they're basically just, I mean, they can call themselves, you know, theoretical physicists too, but it doesn't make it so. You know what no, I mean? So a dietitian who doesn't know nutrition the way you guys do is, is still just a dietitian. And, you know, they, they actually did that in the state of Texas, which Peter and I <laughs> discovered in 015 when they moved from the, from the Sunset uh, Committee, moved them, or actually uh, one of the senators suggested that they move to the Department of Licensure and, and Regulation. And there was a big old bill um, where in that we looked at the, the language and they refer to themselves as licensed. And uh, Peter and I went to the Senate hearing and tried to have that language amended because as you, Rick, and all of us know, uh, they didn't have a practice act. They've never succeeded in the state of Texas. So we all kind of, you know, shuffled downstairs with the bill writer and the lawyers and everything, and they opened the statutes and the bottom line was that in 1984, they had gotten their first Title Act. And in 1989, they amended the Title Act so that their name, their title would be licensed. <laughs> dietitians. Sure, they were licensed yeah. dietitians, but there is no such thing as a licensed dietitian based on defining it as having a practice act and a scope of practice and whatever. There is no licensed dietitian, but we asked them, I, I asked the committee, I said, you see a problem with that? And they said, well, uh, no. And I said, well, you know, if I were to go to the DMV and, you know, pull out, get a ID card and then get stopped by a cop and he asked me to see my license and I showed him my ID card and he says, well, that's not a license. Oh, yes, it is because I prefer to call it that. And that's basically what they did in Texas. So they, they took a title of licensed, but the public perception uh, makes all the difference. You know, if you're licensed or unlicensed by public perception, it's, it's quite an issue. And a lot of colleagues of mine that have PhDs and are highly qualified, they're getting hind tit when it comes to getting jobs or getting insurance reimbursement or getting, you know, anything else. So it's, it's you know, because they don't have, they're not licensed, right? They're just nutritionists. And even if they have better credentials, right? Even if they have a PhD, they're still just nutritionists. Yeah, and they, don't, they can't use the word license. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's just the power of, of, you know, trade associations. If you have a, lo a lot of money, you can do things like that. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, I think that's that's really more of an awareness. But I think, you know, at least on the federal level, you know, it is kind of a mixed bag. And, you know, Orrin Hatch just retired, and he was one of the moving forces behind the whole uh, dietary supplement um, uh, revolution in the 90s with mm -hmm. Deshea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think that uh, the FDA has been waiting in the wings basically to try to uh, turn supplements into drugs again. You know, and they haven't mm -hmm. done that, but they keep on trying to chip either chip away, or amend or or get rid of uh, Deshay and make it more like it like what it is in Europe, which is much more restrictive. 
do you see with the with the present market becoming much more educated? Do you see that as a possibility in the future? Um, no, I think I think there are too many consumers out there. I mean, I think that uh, you know we've gotten used to access. I mean, I think in Europe, in some countries, you can only have like a hundred milligrams of vitamin C. So mm-hmm. here, you know, it's 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 hard to take away freedom like that where you can go to the supplement store and and buy almost anything you want. It's a little different now with these new dietary uh, ingredients that require, um, like I say, this mini FDA approval process. But in terms of the basic supplements, the supplements that people have been using for 20 or 30, 40 years, I, 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 you know, the good news is I don't, I don't see that changing. You know, I mean, from my view is I think they need a revamping of the advertising uh, 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 laws with the FDA and, of course, the FTC. I mean, you know, the, my, my my big bugaboo is that it's knowledge inhibiting. And my feeling is the more information, the better. And, you know, as long as you have proper disclosures, you should be able to make any kind of accurate statement. Rick, we know there's a lot more you have to share, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Rick Jaffe, for joining us on The Wellness Connection. My pleasure. Good luck to you guys. Be sure to tune in next week, and of course, be sure to submit your burning question. The next one we answer may be yours. I'm your co-host, Roddy Iglesias. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. So long for now from The Wellness Connection, brought to you by Wave and Neurobiologics. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to The Wellness Connection with Roddy Iglesias and Peter McCarthy. Be sure to join us for another episode next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.